Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Daniel Pine, author of the new thriller novel, Water Memory. Daniel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Sure. If someone hasn't heard about your latest novel, Water Memory, yet, how would you describe the novel? Oh, uh, yeah, I should have, I should really have an elevator pitch. Um, <laughs> Dying hard on a boat. No, no, that's, that's kind of pretty, a pretty reductive description. Um, it's the story of a female private military contractor who is suffering from serial concussion syndrome and decides to take a break and take a quiet cruise on a cargo ship, which you can book passage on. And there's only like six other passengers. And, um, she wants to kind of think about her career and think about her life. And, uh, but unfortunately early on in the journey, the ship is attacked by pirates and she kind of goes into, uh, work mode to fend off this attack. But of course, Nothing is what it appears to be. No one is who they say they are. Um, she's suffering from memory lapses that affect her ability to operate efficiently. Um, and ultimately, her adult children try to intervene. Um, children who don't know what she does for a living quite. And she not only has to save herself and the crew, but her children as well. Well, do you remember the original impetus or idea that led you to write Water Memory? Um, it was it was a combination of two things. I had this character, this woman, who I had been trying to find a story for. I, I kind of I'm kind of a junkyard writer in the sense that I collect a lot of things, a lot of stories, a lot of information, a lot of ideas, and I keep them. And then as I'm going through my day or going through my work, I start to, to call on them, um, and use them for, for stories. So in this case, I had, I had this private contractor woman. I was really interested in this new generation of women who have come into the military and have taken on more responsibilities and more dangerous responsibilities and how that affects their work, but more importantly, how it affects their private lives, because working women have a, just a different relationship to their families than working men do. So, you know, we have these stories of men who go away for long periods of time on missions, and we don't really think about what's going on with their families. But in this case, you have a woman who has, you know, she has a family and she's had a family during her career. And how has that affected her ability to be a mom, how, how does it affect her children and what they think of her? So I had that character. And then I was on a movie scout with Tak Fujimoto, who's a cinematographer. And he told me that between movies, sometimes he'll take a trip on a cargo ship to decompress and read and just have quiet time. And when he described it to me, it just sounded like such a fascinating setting for some kind of intense story for a thriller or for, um, you know, a tense psychological drama. So I started to put those two things together and then the story just evolved out of that. Well, in addition to writing novels, you've also written screenplays for many movies. 
The Manchurian Candidate, Any Given Sunday, Doc Hollywood, and many others. What was your writing journey? Did you always want to be a writer? And what came first for you, novels or screenplays? Um, screenplays, screenplays were the place where I was successful first. Um, I, I wanted to be some kind of writer. I've worked in, at the beginning of my career, I, I worked as a journalist, as a sports writer. Um, I worked in advertising really briefly as a copywriter. Um, I wasn't sure that I had the chops to be a fiction writer. Um, but I came to Los Angeles and went to film school and um, I think I got lucky and got to, got to write some television and then parlayed that into, into a movie career. And all the time I was doing that, I was still writing prose and I think, and I hope getting better at it. Um, so I started with screenplays and then I kind of segued into novels a little later in my career than I wanted to. But as I said, I was still you know, I feel like I'm always a work in progress. So I feel like all my experience as a screenwriter helped me get better as a prose writer. And how did screenplay writing impact your prose and fiction writing? It's interesting. Um, one of the, one of the complaints that I would get early in my career, because I like writing, obviously I like writing prose, which is generally what the action is in a screenplay. When you write the action in the screenplay, you're, you're writing prose. And a lot of times I would get the complaint that, that I should be writing novels because I, people felt like I was writing too much of it. Um, but what I discovered early on in screenwriting was a, that a screenplay is, is almost like a poem. It's a, it's a very peculiar kind of piece of literature because you are you are creating, you're trying to create with the fewest words possible, a vivid visual image, as well as writing the dialogue in order to inspire someone to make a movie. So I found that I was able to practice writing prose. I found that I got much, much better at being concise and expressing my ideas in as few words as possible. Um, and I think that translates well to writing books and short stories because every word matters and that way you can you can be confident that what you're giving the reader is the most efficient way to tell the story and when you let it wind out you're doing it on purpose so are you still doing any screenplay writing i am um not not quite as much i was doing i i sort of segued out of screenwriting and i did um four years on the on the TV show Bosch that's on Amazon. It's a, it's an adaptation of the Michael Connelly novels about a detective named Harry Bosch. Sure. So I ran that show, um, for four years and also did a, I, I did a movie in Denmark actually with a director in Denmark, but I've started to become, I started to focus a little bit more on books and water memory was, was my, for a fifth book, but it was the first one that I really pushed and tried to make my day job. When you have an idea, when you're thinking about an idea for a story, do you know immediately if it will be a novel or a screenplay? 
Sometimes, sometimes I, I mean, I used to have to do that between television and movies because some ideas lend themselves a little more to serialization and television or, or episodic and, and screenplays tend to be about a character taking a journey and, and they, you know, very strong beginnings and ends. Television tends to be all second act. So it's a, it's a franchise. It's a, it's a, it's an idea that has, that they, they, they say has legs. It means that you can explore it for a long time. You could write a lot of things about it. So sometimes when I'm thinking of things, it'll, it'll occur to me, oh, this is a much better novel because it's more internal. It's more, uh, it, it's not as visual, but generally no, like, with Water Memory, with a couple of my other previous books, they could have been, they could have been movies. Um, and how I make the distinction, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I try them out as scripts and then I don't quite get enough out of it. And I decide to use that as my outline for the book. Um, sometimes I'll try to write prose and I'll realize, oh, this would be much better told with pictures, told with, you know, moving pictures with cinema. So it, it's kind of the, the storytelling I find is, is a lot the same. The, the fundamentals of storytelling are the same and should be the same, no matter what medium you're working in. Sure. So are you working on another book about Aubrey Centro, the lead character from Water Memory? I am. I am. It's the first time I've done this in, in books. I mean, obviously it, in, uh, television you you write a character over and over but um i had another i had an idea for a, a second book for a follow-up uh and um, i presented it to thomas and mercer and they said okay go ahead so i've been working on that i i just finished the first draft of it and do you have a a, a title yet for that one vital lies great well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are listening, who are working on their own stories or screenplays or novels? Um, oh, I have tons. One <laughs> is finish. No matter what, the most important thing is to, is to finish your pride, what you're working on, to write it to the end. Um, we, we don't always, I have a lot of half finished things, but it's really important to get to the end because so much of writing is the art of rewriting. So you, if, if you're feeling hesitant about it or you're feeling like it's not good enough, you can make it better as you rewrite it. But it's really hard to do that if you never finish. Um, the second thing is to stick with it. Um, I always tell my, my screenwriting protégés that um, screenwriting is, is about 98% persistence. It's just you keep doing it and you don't give up. Um, and the other, you know, the basic one is, is writers, write. So you can think about it all you want, but it, and unless you're doing it and it doesn't matter whether you're getting paid for it or not, if you're writing, you're a writer in my book. Um, I, I would do this and I did do it for free when I started out and I, I continually, you know, I write specs, I wrote books on spec. Um, 
the art of writing is, is one of those things where you worry about your part of it, which is the writing part of it. And then you hope that it intersects with a commercial marketplace at some point, but you can't control that part of it. The only part that you can control is the storytelling. Sure. Well, going back to screenplays for just a moment, screenplays, uh, as you kind of, um, mentioned is a very unique structure in terms of writing. How did you, how did you learn that art? Did you go and like, look at published scripts or what was the process for you initially? I did. I mean, I, I, I've always loved movies and I, I had this kind of. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Split, when, when I started out thinking about being a writer, of course, I thought about novels and short stories and essays. But I also loved going to the movies when I was growing up and I've always loved movies and I was exposed to them a little bit more in college. Um, and I started reading screenplays. And then when I got out of college and I was kicking around and I was a journalist, I applied to film school and got in, which I don't recommend to everyone. Um, especially now because it's, it's kind of expensive and there's no guarantees in this writing world. But it did, it was an easy way for me to be exposed to more films and exposed to screenplays. And it taught me sort of basics that now you can get in books and you can get in podcasts about what a screenplay looks like. What are the elements of the screenplay? I mean, there's, there are basic things about how the screenplay looks. It's written in present tense. It's, you have to use a certain format generally. Um, so I, I, I came to it at that, but I also, I tend to be a, a really visual writer, even when I'm writing prose. And, um, it was a matter of watching great films and studying them and seeing how they worked and how they didn't. And sometimes reading the screenplay of a movie that I love so I could see how it translated from the screenplay, but also a matter of watching bad movies and trying to figure out why they didn't work and what, what doesn't you know, what you don't like about them and what you want to avoid doing. Um, one of the, one of the pieces of advice that, that I give to students, um, that really worked for me was to think of when I'm writing a screenplay, think of it as a silent movie. So you try to make the movie work on the basic level of just the images one after another, the dialogue becomes less of a, less of a, device to carry the plot than it is music it's character and music and embellishment and by doing that if you if you watch a great movie and you turn the sound off it still works you still understand what's going on and i've always been amazed by that because the the pictures have such a power to them well book publishing and and getting a novel published is one thing but usually when someone has a career like you've had um in screenwriting 
there there was at some point uh, a break that they had um, in terms of getting into a TV writer's room or or et cetera. What was your what was your entree in getting into the film business as a, as a screenplay writer? It was a little bit different when I was coming in. I was back in the days when television was basically three networks or three networks and independent. And it was generally episodic, which meant that you could watch a show out of order and still understand what was going on. You think of classic TV shows like um, uh, Magnum PI and, and, and shows that are still going like that, a law and order. Sure. Um, but back in the day, when I started, you could still go and pitch story ideas to shows. So what you would do is you would write a spec episode of that show to try to get an entree to a showrunner or to the person who was making the decision of who wrote shows. And then you would go in and you'd pitch five ideas for episodes of that show. Um, and I did that for a while. And I have to tell you, I kicked around for a while. I wasn't an overnight success, but I also had the great fortune of becoming from meeting and becoming friends with, um, another writer, Scott Shepard, who grew up in Los Angeles and had a few connections. I was from Denver, so I didn't know anyone here, but he had a few ways to get in the door. And we decided to team up, even though we weren't really, you know, we weren't really looking for long-term partnership, but just in the short term, it, it helped to have someone else to commiserate with when you got rejected. So we went in and we started pitching and we, we wrote a spec pilot for a TV show that got a, a little bit of interest and we sold an option on it to a producer. And based on that, we got a meeting on a show called Matt Houston, which was an Aaron Spelling show. And we went in and we pitched our ideas and they didn't like any of them, but the showrunner gave us a couple of notions that he'd been kicking around. And we went away and we wrote about a 30 page treatment, which is basically the equivalent of a, a story that it's the story of the show. And it's that's unheard of in television because a script is only 60 pages. So <laughs> right. we wrote this incredibly detailed, incredibly expensive, you know, wild 30 page treatment. And they, we handed it in and they laughed at us, but they kind of appreciated the work we put into it and they liked <laughs> what was underneath it. So we got a job writing, writing an episode and we, you know, we poured our hearts into the episode and they liked it enough that they hired us to do another one. And then, um, and then they hired us as staff writers. And that was, that was my way in. But in those days, there weren't writer's rooms. There weren't, or not formally the way there are now. Um, it was, it was a, a lot different landscape. I think it's harder now. I actually do think it's a little bit harder. Well, and, and kind of following on that, um, because a lot of, uh, screenwriters from what I understand, um, will uh, stay in TV and, and don't, or can't make the leap to, uh, theatrical, um, films. How did you make that leap to, to films? Um, I was always willing to do things like 
if not on spec, nearly on spec. I was always willing to take wild chances. So while I was working in television, um, I was working with a producer who was, who was also a feature producer and he had a project that was completely stalled out that the writer had burned out on and didn't want to continue on. And he asked me if I would be interested in rewriting it. And I did. And it was the movie, The Hard Way. It was the script for the movie, The Hard Way. And I rewrote it and it got its, it got life back in it. And based on that rewrite, I started to get some interest from people who'd been reading it, who knew that the movie was going to get made. And, um, then I wrote a spec script for myself that became the movie White Sands. And that got a little more interest, but not a lot. So kind of as a reaction to that, I tried to write a leaner, more of a conventional thriller. And I wrote Pacific Heights, which got bought and made. And that kind of put me into the movie business. And for a while, uh, people in the movie business didn't know that I had a television career. It was kind of hilarious. They thought they just discovered me that I'd come out of nowhere <laughs> because the two didn't cross over in those days. There was much less crossover between the two. There were movie stars and there were TV stars. There were right. very few actors who crossed over. So I'm curious, do you have any, uh, anecdotes or war stories from any given Sunday? Well, I have a story about it, but it might not be the one you expect, which is I wrote a script called Playing Hurt for Warner Brothers that was about, if you remember the movie, the Matthew Modine character and the James Woods character, the two doctors. Mm -hmm. So it was a movie based on a true story written, uh, a memoir written by a team doctor for the Los Angeles Raiders. And I sort of fictionalized it and wrote this movie about this team doctor who goes up against the orthopedic surgeon on the team, the team's orthopedic surgeon, because he feels the guy is risking the careers of his athletes. And he starts to push back against him. And it had a lot of stuff about um, concussions and, and uh, people playing hurt and taking steroids and all of that stuff. Um, and it also had a lot of team stuff. And then the movie kind of languished for a while and Oliver Stone, meanwhile, had been developing his own football project about Monday night football. And I think somewhere, somewhere Warner Brothers approached him and said, we have this movie. Do you want to do it? And he looked at it and looked at either my script or, or some version of it and said no but i i want to make a football movie so he combined my script and another script and his script and made any given sunday interesting well what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed um the last nonfiction i'm i'm reading i've been reading a bunch of books for um for the new, for my new novel. And one of them was an autobiography of Marcus Wolf, who was the 
Stasi spymaster, the East German, he was an East German uh, intelligence agent, and he wrote an autobiography that's kind of amazing and fascinating about how the East German secret police worked in the, in the late 80s and into the dissolution of the, the fall of the wall and the dissolution of the Soviet Union. Um, the last fiction book I read was um, Yukio Mishima's Star. Uh, Mishima is a, is a celebrated Japanese writer, and it's a really thin book about stardom. It's about a movie star. It's about, you know, 100 pages, and it's just ex- exquisite. And before that, I read the final installment of the Wolf Hall series by Hilary Mantel. Um, well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels? Um, I have a website that I'm working on, www.danielpine.com, where um, all my novels are on it. But more importantly, all my TV and movie work is on it. And I have a lot of sort of, I, I try to, I, I have little blurbs about each movie um, and I have some links to pilots that I made that never saw the light of day. So that's kind of interesting and pilots for series that I created. So there's a lot of kind of other material in it. That's I try great. to keep it lively. Well, again, we've been speaking with Daniel Pine, author of the new novel, Water Memory. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Daniel, thanks for doing this interview. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.